bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Hello and welcome to After Things. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Brian Brushwood. Oh, hold on. I had a response. Let me scroll. Thank you, Andrew. And joining us is Mr. Justin Robert Young. Mm Mm-hmm. Sorry, wait, hold on. I'm just reading... This uh, transcription, uh, apparently uh, Amazon has some notes on my purchase, but I'm happy to be here as well. Cool. And then, uh, pardon me if I get the name wrong, Mr. Uh... Bryce Castillo. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I'm so glad to be back on the After Things program. Wow, man. I ain't never seen, like, we were racing for pinks on that one, Smash man. Smash that subscribe <laughs> button and ring that bell. Hello, everybody. I'm not going to be pleased until that's the end of the State of the Union. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh. Uh, so, uh, a, a thought that I wanted to address is... I've been watching this this Hobbit like behind the scenes. I'm yeah. almost done with all the behind the scenes for all Hobbit movies, which is fascinating. I and assume the it takes point- twice as long because you have to watch twice as many frames. <laughs> that was a reference to uh, the high frame rate. Yeah, so yeah, no, fine. no, I got it. It's I, fine. I got it. I yeah. was fine. No, I was there. being punished. That's all right. Uh, uh, they, all right. They, no, because I'm thinking like no, you say that because like every time they show a clapboard. You see 48. You see the frame rates on everywhere. And mind you, because when you watch it at home, it's 24 FPS, you know, converted for whatever in digital. It's like there's no 3D, there's no 48. It's like all of the part of things that made that production a little bit of a pain in the ass. Uh, are are the, um, the behind the scenes a better experience to watch than the movies? <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. You, you appreciate so much more of like, it was an enormous effort. You know, they had three years to prepare for Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson, once Guillermo del Toro left, they had five months to prepare for The Hobbit. Good and this God. was the finished principal photography on the second film. Remember when it was going to be two movies? Yeah. Finished principal on the second film. Like, you know what? Let's make this a trilogy and put a movie in between these two other movies. Oh, wow. Oh, so the, I didn't realize that they'd filmed the first and third. And then they're like, let's spread out all this smog stuff. To, so write a story around the all the smog and, stuff. And this stuff is happening. Like they had, like you watch this tearful goodbye, the last day of shooting, da-da-da-da-da. A week later, we decided to do a third film to go in between one and two. And then you're like, it's just so... And then you like, because they have this habit where they give like the stars gifts when they leave and you watch them like, 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 you know, like Martin Freeman, like go through those like several times. Like, oh, goodbye, Martin. Here's the gift for you. Here's the thing. And you know, fine. And they're just like, you know, taking like you know stuff off like ah oh, here's a bunch of jolly ranchers from our craft services table <laughs> not really but it, it it it's it is an amazing i i love peter jackson philippa boyens fran walsh that team everybody who worked on this i you get 
you get why those movies weren't as endearing as Lord of the Rings. You get the pressure and stuff in there. And I'd say, if, if anything, it does make you appreciate what they had to deal with more. They talk about when they went to do the five armies, um, how 25% of that film is like all CGI. And you see Peter Jackson running around the mocap with this camera with these little white balls on it. So it's being captured so he can look through the viewfinder and see the previs. And he's shooting the battle sequences, looking at it and saying, oh, this is a good angle here. This is a good angle here. Barefoot, of course, as he runs around. And then they're like, oh, we, we need we need to get like, you know, orcs getting beat up. And then they have these stunt guys in, in like, you know, mocap suits being yanked by cables into mat into walls and stuff oh and being God. thrown around and stuff. Uh, there's an entire I don't know if you saw the extended version, but there's an entire like dwarf chariot scene that didn't make it into the theatrical cut that uh, you see them. The actors do it. And then way back in, in after in post, they have all these stunt actors playing a part of the dwarves in there in mocap. I mean, it's just technically really, really insane. And I guess the point I was trying to make, though, was like, you watch this, the watching him shoot on a virtual set, which is what like James Cameron had done on Avatar. And then we showed in our last uh, podcast, we were talking about like how uh, like the background removal technology that like the iPhone has with LiDAR and other, other systems have too. And where is this sort of going? And I... I used to think that, like, if you see some kind of cool tech demo by some researchers do that, like, oh, somebody's going to make this happen. That's often not the case. That's often not the case. If you think there's an opportunity out there in anything, it shouldn't discourage you. shouldn't come to the conclusion somebody else is doing this. You know, yeah. Justin and Brian both went into fields where other people were doing things. And there's room for innovation. There's room to be creative and stand out. Well, and, and uh, I would go a little bit of a step forward in that when we first started uh, BB Live Show and early NSFW Show, we thought in our minds that we were doing a poor impression of what Leo Laporte was doing on This Week in Tech. But what we were actually doing is discovering how rudimentary the uh, copyright detection technology was on Twitch and or, or Justin.tv or any of those things. Like we we were just playing. It's like, why isn't people, why, why aren't people just playing all of, why are there not VJs playing the most popular viral videos? And nowadays the answer is, is because you'll immediately be taken down. But at the time, uh, <laughs> there was nobody to do that. There were no yeah. guards at the gates. So, so in in thinking that we were behind the curve, we were actually ahead of it. Well, and I think that that was early form and function, and and you've really seen. Uh, I mean, from if you were to do like the CGI groundbreakers kind of like Hall of Fame from going from like something that was fully like a uh, CGI early, like, uh, like, like, you know, uh, sky captain in the world of tomorrow or something like that to everything that, that, uh, you know, uh, Peter Jackson had you know, pioneered with Lord of the Rings and then did again with, uh, uh, the Hobbit. There is some amazing, amazing work that now is kind of like what used to be groundbreaking CGI then is now kind of budget. CGI you can you can do if you've got enough time and effort and, and sweat equity in it uh and and the high-end stuff is you know if anything kind of like stagnating 
If, if you look at some of the reactions to major Hollywood uh, 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 blockbusters and some of the de-aging debacles and, and, and stuff like that, it's, it, it really is a, a fascinating uh, time. Well, and at, at the risk of opening up a door, I'll, 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 I'll open a door ajar, and if you feel like there's something there, then we could pursue it. But, but we've had some private conversations about what we want to go into, and I've been a big fan of figuring out what can you do that nobody else can do. And, uh, and, and if so, do that. I would say that, that that was a truth back in the early days of scam school. Like, uh, I don't mind going to an actual bar, getting real people who are half drunk and teaching them magic tricks and trying to get them to do it back to me. Yes, that's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of effort. It's going to be highly, there's going to be a lot of footage that we can't use. We're going to have to try multiple times. But it was that, uh, uh, as Justin put it, the internet smells effort and as a result, that show did well. Same thing for NSFW. Uh, when we launched that show on the Twit Network, it's like, as far as I know, no other no other show would come out with a missive video of two minutes long pre-produced saying, hey, gang, here's the mission. Here's the crazy thing we're going to do tonight. It's well-produced. It's got music. And you've got six hours to put together your submissions for it. Um, and, and we did it mainly because we were because we could and we're excited to do it. And I'm not going to say that's always turned out to be the right decision, but, but in general, like if you can do a thing that other people can't do, that seems to have paid off. And, you know, you, you brought up an example before the other episode talking about paying a compliment to one YouTube show saying that it was defunct land style. Yeah. And, and, Defunct Land, for those who don't watch, is one of those amazing YouTube channels of a person who says, if if we went to if we went to Travel Channel and we said, hey, we want to do a show that does a deep dive into theme parks and amusement park rides, they would we'd get a meh, like, what about America's most we'd get some alternate pitch, which might be okay, but not really very good and not as deep. And they would never sort of kind of green light the kind of thing we'd want to do. But then you take the show Defunct Land, which gets over 600,000 views for these 30 and 40 minute episodes. That's outpacing shows on cable. Like yeah. that's the big, that's the thing that cables reckoned is that there are YouTubers with way more audience and making, you know, kind of more doing better than they are. And, and, and that's that, the world that's, we live in. And that's in Nielsen numbers, which we have no idea how, how, how close to reality those, those numbers even are. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing is like, that's kind of the power of going like doing a deep dive, like do a deep dive. You go a little bit deeper into something and all of a sudden, uh, the, the episode from one week ago ha is about a stupid theme park attraction at SeaWorld about a submarine. It's got 678,000 views. Probably more people watch this video than ever rode that theme park attraction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on, on that note, this is something that I actually, a decision that I made over the last week. Um, so on the politics show, uh, I've I've kind of had this sort of existential uh, question because the the show was really built in in the last few years for a high news throughput. There was never a question of exactly what I would talk about because I I knew that there were X amount of fires that were there. Very more often, I would find myself not wanting to talk about certain things because I found them to be overblown. That's not the case anymore. And so 
as I found myself struggling more and more to find topics, I, I actually went to a friend of the show, Andrew Heaton, and I was like, well, what do you like about my show? Like, what, what is something that I should do more of? And he said, deep dives, history. You know, Raise the Dead as a podcast series that I do only comes out maybe once a year. And so I should be carving out more of that element into PX3. And so that's what I did on uh, uh, starting last week. I've, I've started just doing a deep dive on Fridays into old attack ads and, and just kind of looking back in, into history and just kind of understanding these things in context uh, and giving them the same treatment as I would an election, just a little slice, just basically that, that 15 minutes I would spend if I had done a raise the dead on that entire election on that ad, I can carve that out and, and put that on, on PX three. And so far the feedback's been great. It's kind of opened up all these other little avenues of, of people responding to it. And now I can make it more of an organic conversation with the audience. And, uh, uh I'm, uh, uh, very, very happy about, uh, about that, that decision, but, the the deep dive, man. It, it is just a, a a language of our modern internet, and and when it's done well, and you trust the narrator, uh, boy, is it is it powerful? There's a we've got seven billion people on the planet, right? Seven billion and growing. And my girlfriend, she's from India, and her friends, you know, a lot of her friends are in India. They live in India right now. Do you know what her friends are super excited about right now? What, what like, the big thing they're getting excited for? No. The Friends reunion. <laughs> That's okay. awesome. Yeah. They, they were, most of her friends, they're in their 20s, so this is a show that they've only seen in reruns. Yeah. Right? But that show is timely for them. They love the show. They're all excited about this, and this is about, you know, an American show, American thing, but the beautiful thing about American culture is it is a melting plot, and that's why there's a lot of relatability to it. And when you start thinking about, ah, oh, I'm going to do this thing, but I, will anybody else be into it? Well, you know, half half that seven billion people on the planet have access to the internet. Yeah, and you know, somewhere out of a couple billion people, you might be able to scrape a few people that might be into it. And sometimes, if you're really into a thing, you look hard to find it. And so that's it's just. I mean, some things might be too niche, too niche, but it's just the 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 fact that, you know, I, I've watched her discover like 80s music and do these deep dives into stuff now and watching interviews with people and telling me stuff that I never knew about some of these people. And so like culture is culture is our product. Culture is what we are. And, and it's so transmissible and it goes across boundaries and borders and through time. Uh, and, and there's two angles to approach that as a creator. One is like, okay, what's in me? And the only way to find out what's in you is to get started and, and to find out what you hate. And then, um, um, I don't, I don't know how much we want to go deep into, uh, our process for something that I can't name. Uh, but, 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 but it's basically, um, uh, a question is asked an answer is given, uh, a, a version of a script is written the script is refused to be read correctly, but instead something else comes out and it gets kicked back and forth. And then there comes this moment that, that both Justin and I, as we put it, hate listen to it, uh, which, which sounds terrible, but I think is the most important thing. That is when a sculptor sculpts, is when they figured out everything that is not 
the figure of Mercury that is in this this stone or or whatever. So so there's there's that aspect, but then there's also the aspect of what does the world want? Uh, because you can do all of that work and find out that what you're doing is providing very well a product or a service that the world doesn't want, and you don't get to decide whether or not you deserve a thing because because you want it. And the only way to find out either of those is to get started. And 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 you know we're looping back on one of the classic themes here, which is uh, do. Do. That's yeah. the only way you gather just data just is, is, is I mean, just, just get started. And, and the only reason why I know it's a slam dunk that I can go back to old uh, uh, attack ads and do a history deep dive on them is because I've kind of eaten around the edges of that idea. And I know that when I've done it, the audience has responded. And now I can, you know, it took somebody pointing it out to me to be like, oh, just do that obvious thing that everybody loves when you do it. And I'm like, oh. Okay, well that makes sense, but I have the knowledge because uh, I've 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 been around that idea, and 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 that's that. God, you only find that out if you are out there just creating and connecting and figuring out what what people want. Because I think that there is a real danger of trying to solve the problem in your head and trying to solve the audience expectation in your head, as opposed to throwing things out there and seeing what people are biting on, seeing what you're good at, what you like making like uh, uh, that to me, the only way to walk is to put one foot in front of the other, instead of writing in your head, this amazing uh, uh, forward uh, uh, calculus of how you would walk. And then you try to take some complicated step and you fall and you're like, well, that sucks. So, so uh, at the risk of begging you to give me the answer that I want to hear, Andrew, uh, my my 17 year old daughter has a very developed fantasy world and a very developed set of characters that she loves very very much, and she wants to represent them well. And it leaves her in a state of paralysis because uh, it seems like to her the worst thing that she could do is fail to represent those characters well in a way that that uh, would make them live in other people's minds the way they live in her minds. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I, I suppose growing up in magic, I was fortunate enough to, uh, around the same age, uh, uh, she's 17. I would have been 18, 19 when I realized, oh, wait, I'm going to have an imaginary conversation with everybody I respect in magic. And I'm going to ask them the question, have you ever had a show that went terribly wrong? And in my imagination, every single one of my heroes would outdo me to to extreme success talking about like uh, you know Penn and Teller saying yeah we tried to do a show in the middle of a full on race riot to uh to to it's like uh, well I had fruit thrown at my stage to it's like I was physically stabbed during my show somebody somebody robbed me during my show and and um in my mind it was like somehow that failure was inextricably linked to the success. And it's like, well, I better, I better rack up these failures real fast. What's the fastest way I could rack up these failures. And I, I don't know how to give, uh, ultimately. And now I'm in a position of, of privilege being in my late forties. Uh, I, I want to give my 17 year old daughter, the gift of seeing things that way, because it seems to have worked out pretty well so far, but it, but, but I suspect that there's no way for me to say it in a way that she could hear it. And, and I don't know if you have a different take on that. 
One, you're probably right on the being. It's hard for somebody to hear it. Second, there's a problem with all those analogies you get, all those stories you gave. None of them involved the performer being bad. They were all about external things. And when you're talking about your doubt, will I fail? Will I do poorly? Will I, do I not have the skill to do this? And when I talk about writing is that I'm like, to me, it's like, it would have been arrogant for me to assume that the first time I sat down to write a story that it would be good. Because I just, it, there are too many variables. The beautiful thing about writing, unlike performance, is if you got to go do a show Friday. Uh, it's booked. By Saturday. Yeah, Saturday, you're done. You can't do anything. But if you're like, I have to have a rough draft of my story by Friday. And if it sucks on Friday, it's not going to suck. You know, if you if your show sucked on Friday, your magic show sucked on Friday, it'll suck on Saturday on that show you did will suck forever, eternity, because you can't go back in time. You write a story, you start somewhere and you can improve it. If you've understood, if you see, I think the the strongest signal you can show is to say, hey, just write something. And then we're going to go through this and I'm going to teach you how to make it better because I want you to know everything you do, you have the power to then make it better. You just got to get it out there. All that matters is getting it out there. And if we go through and show you, if I teach you how to make it better, then you'll be less afraid. You're not going to be worried because every story starts that way. Do, do you think, and maybe this is an extra introspective episode of, of after, after things, um, I, I, are the three of us made of something just a little bit different where we're less afraid to go out and be bad? Cause I, I, I know that, I know that, 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 that's been foundational for Justin and I's comedy like, like, we're like, yeah, we're going to be bad. It'll be terrible. It'll be hilarious. We'll laugh about it someday. Um, but, but I don't know that I've talked to you, Andrew, about that aspect. Um, is, is, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the prize for us was always worth more. We would go through anything because of the prize, what we wanted. Yeah. You know, I would go on stage and embarrass myself, but I did woke up the next day. I didn't want to give up. Yeah. You know, I still wanted the thing. And that's the thing is that, and that's sort of how you kind of, and it doesn't mean to like, it's fine to give up and say, I don't really want it. Cause you might come back to it two years later when you have a different set of priorities say, no, I really want this now. Now I understand how much it means to me. Um, but I, I, when I started writing books, like I, I was at a point in my life, like I've got to do, I have no choice. I have no choice. I've got to make this thing work for me. So I don't care if I start off sucking I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. I, 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 uh, well, if, if you have something, well, I mean, uh, I feel like I, I have a pretty good, a beat on, on the emotional makeup of the, the three of us. Um, I don't think that there is anything special about, any of our ability to tolerate the pain that comes along with being bad. I don't think that any of us are particularly immune, emotionally immune to that. Yeah. I think that we have whatever little spark there is, be it recklessness or bravery to take steps. And I think that that's driven by what Andrew said, the idea of, we want to be our heroes. We want to be the, we see this North star that we, that we, that we dream to be. And we just know 
that and then eventually what what is learned is the repetition of saying all right i'll take this reckless step toward heaven and i'm gonna fall down and even though we know it hurts you know it hurts from the moment you think about this goal. You know that it's going to suck. You know that you're going to have to put yourself through the ringer. You know that it's going to be hard to to get notes, to do all the things that you need to do. Uh, that in and of itself is kind of the the lesson. But it's like to to think that we're better at tolerating the pain, I think, is the wrong the wrong thing. It's It's more that we have... That man, all this stuff is just, it's all that split second. It's that, you know, I think about it to, to, to this day. We're on the way back. Andrew and I are on the way back from South by Southwest. And there is like, what, no matter how much was going on under the surface in Andrew's head, he decides to pull out his notepad or, 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 or laptop, I forget what it was, and just start writing that first short story that eventually launches th- this, this career that is, is, is now uh, before us. And it's like, that's that split second. The split second to say, no, now. Now's when I do it. Now's when I try a thing. And it's like that matched with a goal of where you want to go. And then the ability to say, yeah, look, I'm going to tolerate things not being good. Things not being good, not being up to my standards. Things not being up to the world standards. My friends looking at me or strangers looking at me like I'm I'm bad or untalented. Like, like that always hurts. That never goes away. Like that's that's always there on some level. As long as you know that the hardest lesson to teach people is that we're not we don't have to. Some people are static, but you don't have to be static. Once you realize that you can improve and get better at something, then and if you're willing to do the work, you something like yeah, you know, I get better. I don't want to do the okay. If you don't know you can get better, then you're going to be afraid because you're going to like, well, what if it sucks? Well, fine. You don't expect it to suck. Just know that you can make it better. Well, that's going to be work. Well, I don't want to work. Well, then give up. That's what I'm like. If you don't want to work, <laughs> give up. But if, but I'm if you're, and I get this all the time. And you know, Twitter people ask for advice. Like, well, I want to do this, but I'm like, I don't want to. I want somebody else to write my story of this. Like, yo, you don't want to do the work. Yeah. Well, that's silly. You know. And if you want, if you know you can get better and you're willing to do the work, that's all it takes. That's those are the two most important things. I I, I can't remember at which time I've told which part of this story, but. You know, I I went up and did uh, a fast tracked performance on America's Got Talent and went up to to Dallas and you know kind of skipped the uh, the the audition and went straight to the big stage um, and and I did it with a, a proven piece uh, in in so far as it grabbed attention but it was an unproven piece in that it had no resolution it was the the fake hand stab yeah. and and so on and. Um, I remember being on stage and uh, immediately two buzzers went off and I realized, oh, both of these people think I just injured myself on stage and they've already committed themselves. Uh, and, and my new job in that moment became, I need to make sure that this doesn't see air. So I, I, I just spoke in run on sentences and tried to run out the clock on everything and refused to give them any sound bites that, that would go anywhere. However, that very long three and a half hour drive back, uh, I, I thought the whole time I have career cancer, like sometime between now, mid March and mid June, this is going to come out and I will be the punchline. And, and the guy who did scam school, my career is over. It's over. It's over. I have career cancer. And I was fixated on that. And, um, I wrote Teller 
And, uh, and it was astonishing because I wrote him a good two and a half pages in vivid detail explaining just how totally screwed I was on yeah. this thing. And his response was very curt. And he was like, yeah, in my experience, this matters not at all. Uh, there was this one time we did a prediction on the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. Did I mention it's the Super Bowl? We were live on the Super Bowl. We got it wrong. Nobody cared. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, okay, your antipathy does nothing to make me feel better. Uh, and then yet, sure enough, uh, it didn't matter. And, and for the life of me, I can't find that footage of them screwing up their prediction. We got Dotson. Uh, we got Dotson here. See? Like, 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 I, 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 right? I mean, yeah. it's, 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 uh, but that's the way you get to act when you're already past it. But when you're in it, God, it feels like the end of the world. Again, and that's, and that's part of it. Part of it is just understanding that your emotional journey on this, you will feel every stair that you fall down. <laughs> like every stair will hurt. And on some level, like even now, like, uh, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure for, for every uh, uh, YouTube comment that comes in, no matter how successful you've been, there's an element where you're like, eh, geez. Like in every email, I know, Every, every time that I screw up something on a podcast and somebody points it out, it still hurts, even though I've been able to make a living doing it. And I'm sure the same with, with Andrew on, on, on your books. Whenever you get an email about something and you're like, ah, Jesus, I wish we would have had that back. You get some calluses. It, it, it hurts a little bit less than the first time it hurt, but it always, it always hurts. What is the other side of it? And I think, you know, for, for me with podcast production, I was talking to Brian about this earlier today. The, the big moment that changed for me was understanding that there is a point between a first draft, which is bad, and trusting my ability and talent to make it good. And, and it, so what I found out was so much of my hesitation, so much of my delay was in the fear that this one was special. Right, that this one was gonna be the one that I you had to get it right the first I, time, I, or yeah, or or it's like it's gonna be bad. It's gonna stay bad. I'm not gonna be able to make it work. And and I've done it enough times now where it's like, oh no, this is I've got a skill. I've got it. I've got a talent. I can look at a thing and and be it through all the times that I've I've helped with uh, Andrew's stories and and all the people that I've helped give notes to all the times that I've watched movies and hated them and tried to pick apart, you know, what was bad and, and how many times I sat in a Panera bread with Andrew and cast and, and, and came up with full franchises for us, like star Treks that never happened that we were just <laughs> making up for ourselves. It's like, Oh, all that has compiled in my brain. And now I can be like, Oh no, this is not the point of the story. The point of the story is this is that and the other. And it's like, that's helped bridge the gap where at least I don't have the anxiety. I know that I'm going to fall down those stairs. I've got the calluses, but at least I'm not scared about it. And that's the and biggest thing with the fear. Maybe, Andrew, maybe that's the right metaphor is, is at some point things cease to be a wound that you feel and they become a scar that you get to point to and brag about how you got. And, and I would say like the, uh, you know, uh, the time in, in, in West Virginia where the audience hated my show and threw fruit at my stage, that is now a scar that, that, that I don't feel the pain, but I enjoy telling the story. And, and, uh, 
the uh, uh, America's Got Talent uh, yeah. situation. Like, like that's a scar now, not 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 a wound. Uh, I'll give you a better example. Oh, sorry. Number one, by the way, uh, on the magic thing, you could have called me on that. I'd be like, was it over when Ricky Jay screwed up his card trick on Letterman? The guy who became the terror of every other magician, the fear of like this guy screwed up a trick. Ricky Jay. Oh, that's okay. right. He did totally everything wrong. It was supposed to be anyway. So here are the four aces, and he's like, "Yeah, there's a king, a two, a five, and a seven. Yeah. I don't get it." Was it was it over when Doug Henning on live TV fell off of a mirror base and his legs vanished? <laughs> no. <laughs> was it was it over when Blackstone with the Orange Bull and every oh magic my god, trick oh, 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 the hand was is quicker over? than the eye. Uh. And then I was about to do an over and like, no, it really was over for those guys in Vegas. So we'll leave it right there. The point is, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the point is, yeah, like that's like, yeah, like it's because like that is like every, what seems like the world to you to nobody else. Nobody else. You'd be lucky if people cared. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, the story, but you know about uh, kickboxers and like when they look at like x-rays of their bones, like these these Thai kickboxers, when we look at this. Mm -mm. When you kick, when you hit your those bones over and over again, the same with the boxing, you get micro fractures, not full fractures, micro fractures. Those go fill in with more calcium, and over time, those bones become really dense, denser than a regular human's bones. I, I, I do know about this from my friend Dennis Rogers, who does the strongman stuff. Like he grabs a a, 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 a a nail and just punches it through a board every time. I'm sure he's breaking his bones a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I'd say that's one of these things where you start to see where you can get like this. Uh, in theory, the idea is that these done right over time, it just makes the bone stronger. You yeah. know, and that's the kind of thing where it serves a purpose. It makes the thing stronger. And so that's. Uh, you know, another thing, too, though, it's like a, a weird analogy. Do you know the problem? One of the problems astronauts have with their feet when they're on the space station? They don't know what they're, to do with them. Yeah, they're, they, they're, they're holding like two mugs because they don't know the, what they're dancing. They the, might the bot. Mm -hmm. they, maybe they don't know where their feet are. Well, the skin on the bottom of their feet peels off. <sighs> oh, because you're no longer walking around oh. and they start to develop a hard surface on the top of their feet because when you're clipping around your toes around things and so oh. they'll, they'll wear like special socks and stuff because you're no longer using the bottom of your feet and that's a very you think of your foot like oh it's perfect like no like that's that's wear and tear from walking around if you don't walk around it gets soft and you lose its ability for it to like be firm and whatnot and so that like, that's how we grow with a lot of things we grow only grow by friction. They only grow by use. We only get better by doing that. So, so. to, to wrap things up, um, I mean, I think what we've done is a lot of describing of, uh, us being willing to, to, you know, get beat up a lot. Uh, if, if somebody is thinking that doesn't sound fun to me, <laughs> like small, 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 how do you, small, how do you small, tell do them? a small thing, do <laughs> yeah. a small thing. Like, to uh uh i i you're you're saying this is a, a penny's thing where she yeah, yeah 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 for, for for penny and uh, and also a, a, a spoiler so alert uh, we we have who who is roughly of the same age as penny and into magic and so i i kind of want to you know give a good advice so let's, let's let's just say let's just use penny as an example of somebody who's got a big gigantic world in big idea doesn't want to screw it up 
uh, I will leave the 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 final advice to Andrew. But if I'm going to channel Andrew, what I would suspect he would say is take a cool little part of that world and write that story, write that tiny little story, that little short one. It could be a couple pages, but just that little that conflict, uh, a fun little adventure that a side character side character would go on. If you have a wide, big world, just eat around the edges, feel what it's like to, to write in that universe. And, uh, uh, for, for, for magic, I would say it's, I mean, again, I'm, I'm literally giving advice for, for the author and, and the magicians when I'm neither, but like, that's why we show up for this show. But, uh, uh, I, I would say a small little thing, get, get good at, at, at a small little thing, but make it as, as complete of a, of a, of a small thing as you can. So a beginning, a middle and an end, something that, that then that little DNA, cause if you got that little DNA, God does everything else become so much easier because now you're replicating it on a larger scale. And instead of thinking about like, Oh, well, where do we even start? It's like, if you do a little thing and you like that little thing at the very least, you can always say, okay, well it begins like my little thing began. And then it has a middle, like my little thing had, and then it ends like my little thing did. And then it's like, okay. And then you can figure out, okay, was this make sense or not? But it just gives you that starting spot. And if you have that starting spot, God, does everything go faster? Yeah. It's, it's advice that plays with anything. When Sir Edmund Hillary wanted to climb Everest, first thing he did is he found, you know, the tallest mountain in New Zealand and he went there first. Yeah. It's half the height of New Zealand, but like, let me, let me work out. Let me figure out. Everybody has drafts. Everybody goes through revisions. So it doesn't matter if you're Stephen King or whoever. And so my advice to your daughter is like, understand that writing is first draft, later drafts. It's, it's, it's iterating over that, which gives you permission to start in a place with lots of mistakes. And then you find that skeleton and you build from there and like, yeah, start something small. You know, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien he really wrote two stories, Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. There's all this other stuff. There's all this other, you know, all these other outlines. There's all these other like little almanac like types of stuff, but actual real stories. He only wrote two, but he created, you know, this fantasy universe that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars because it's such a rich place to tell stories in, but he only managed to write two, what I would call real complete sort of stories. Um, to your daughter, it's like, yeah, she has his universe, has his characters, start with a story about a character and then work from there. Don't tell, tell her to make a bad version. Tell her to just write a fast version. Just, just make a fat, write a fast thing. Spend the next yeah. two days writing a thing. Pen, Give pen, her an excuse for it to suck in advance. Penny's not a fan of, 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 uh, making her characters filthy with a, with a bad story, but, but, but maybe, maybe a disguised story. And, and this is something I'll confess to you guys. You know, we've talked about this book that I've been wanting to write, and part of me is afraid to be known as a marketing guy instead of an entertainment guy. And, uh, and then it occurred to me like a week ago that I was like, I don't have to publish it under my own name. I can just make the damn thing and publish it under whatever name I want. Brian, we got to talk. Okay. I, no, I already uh, did it. Right, I already right, did right. it. I already did it. He already said that over lunch. <laughs> I already had this exact talk fine, that you're going to give fine. Up. You know what? My my pick is uh, 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 my kid's story. It's great. <laughs> uh, so you think Matthew McConaughey is like, ah, oh, if I write this soulful book about life and me, oh, I don't want to be known as this guy. I got to use another name. <laughs> no. I, I, well, and, and, and 
uh, this is the most I'm going to give to it is what I don't want to do is just have it like gotcha the book from the guy that 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 gotcha. <laughs> you know, that's what I don't want to do. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Cool. <laughs> uh uh I I do think for Penny though, if she doesn't want her characters to be sullied, li- literally just change the names, right? No, not even change the names. Further out the ring, right? So it's like if she's got her main characters and yep. then her side characters, tell me a story about the side character, side character. Somebody who's observing a side character that like now you can let them do whatever they want. A simple little thing about uh, that time the side character did a little, so the time that they picked a mushroom. What's the most exciting thing that could happen by somebody that viewed them doing a thing that's happening in your story? At least to give you, because it's like, what she Lowest doesn't realize is. is that she doesn't have the muscle to build the character. Yeah. And that's all you need. And if you write the side character, side character story, then that's giving you a safe space to just say, oh, well, here's a human. And the human needs a, a motivation. The human needs a conflict and blah, blah, blah. Um, also, put your name on your book. But uh, my pick is, uh, what was my other pick? Oh, I watched the first se- episode of this season of uh, Handmaid's Tale. Um, I've had complicated feelings about this series, but uh, apparently in this season, she's a mob boss. And of all the versions where, uh, you know, the show has been various different kinds of shows, but her as kind of a sociopathic mob boss, I'm, uh, I'm on board with. Is this bringing you back? Because I know you were you were down on the last it's season. a mess of a show it's okay. just it, it's just a mess and it definitely seemed i did i'm not caught up with the show but it definitely seemed like a show that probably should have been wrapped up after a couple of years well it it's always had a problem like many shows of its era that are shows about messages right that are shows about trying to get a point of view across the line between the subtlety of where you want to tell that message and then understanding that there's got to be a good story wrapped around it, right? If you want it to be art that will live forever, then the, the art that lives forever are the things that we remember, the stories that we remember, not necessarily the messages that we digested. Um, it's had a hard time with that. Uh, and, and largely because it just kind of keeps deciding that it's different sorts of shows. Sometimes it's a, sci-fi alternate reality kind of show. Sometimes it's a political show. And now it's and Mob Boss is kind of a, a different way of looking at it. It's more of a a now this is guerrilla warfare. Um but you get some of the same beats. I mean look, uh, uh the acting's always been good. Uh but um you know uh, uh it's still, <laughs> they still haven't learned subtlety, but uh, that was never the point of the show anyway. Um, I've got a, I've got a half of a pick. I've got a half a pick and it's only here because I didn't hate it. Uh, I watched the first two and a half episodes, I guess, of, uh, of a little Netflix show called Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, I was very surprised by this. It's a... Uh, it wasn't what I thought it would be. So it's about it's about a superhero family, and also there's a um, multiple there's a past and present timeline thing going on. I think it's interesting. I think it's not any- more 1920s, less 20 year olds. That's my theme. That's what I want to see. Oh, I disagree completely on that. 
I, I think it's... It gets a lot of points for not just being what the Marvel version of this would be. I have a feeling that the Marvel version of this will be Black Widow, whatever the story of Black Widow is. Andrew. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Hold on. Before Andrew speaks, real quick, Bryce, uh, you did or did not see Invincible? Of course I saw Invincible. Yes. Okay. Invincible is a good show, a good cartoon. I think this is interesting because it doesn't feel like a superhero show first. Um, I don't I don't love it. I don't love I don't love it, but I can I can watch it and that's a half pick. I don't love these hoes. Andrew, what's up? Yeah, I'm halfway through it. So this was part of Netflix made this big deal with Mark Millar, who's a great, great comic book writer, etc. Yes, right. They spent mm-hmm. yeah, they did yeah, wanted um an unannounced amount, but they bought after the Marvel deal was ending, they bought the Miller World. And my issue one, Stephen S. Tonight was the showrunner, and then he like quit in the middle of this and like then there was some problem or whatever or was they change you know creative differences whatever which is not a good sign first episode i don't want to do spoiler um people die and it's not acknowledged like five minutes later we're in another scene and the biggest thing people are dealing with has nothing to do with and i'm like i'm rewind like wait no wait, did people just die there right like these major characters are these characters just died i'm like Oh yeah, no, they died. This just the writing just didn't want to talk about that. And then we get to mm. the second episode, and then it's like, oh yeah, that. Anyhow, blah blah blah. I'm like, this show doesn't even understand the like the characters aren't behaving in a world that's real for them. Um, and and I like I like everybody involved, but like man, like it's like I'm like I don't I want I want the early like there's parts of the story that takes 1930s, parts of the story that take place you know modern day. Just do the effing old story that took place in the thirties, do that, then do the other story. And also the characters, like I didn't find them compelling or likable. That was my problem. Invincible. There's like one mm-hmm. character in there that's just not likable at all. And we're supposed to be sympathetic towards them. And that's like, sometimes I think people had to go like, Hey, we're going to follow this character. Are they likable? Oh no, not likable. And that, that was really part do, of my do issue. We want like, to. Yeah. Do we, there's, there's gotta be something that we want to see advance. Even if we, even yeah. if they're, even if they're scumbags, like we, we need to see some element of a thing or they're tied to somebody that we kind of care about. Uh, uh, it is hard when you don't see yourself in anything. Like, let's say there were like a teaser trailer where you had a bunch of godlike beings that have no element of humanity and they just show up on a weird ship and 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 they're just kind of there and then they say the eternals at the end like i'm just hypothetically spitballing this like like you just well, got a teaser so you got to see something all right all right how's so, it been people well, wait, wait 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 i tried watching army of the dead oh what'd you yeah. think so I, at the beginning, I'm like, well, at least they're getting this out of the way so we don't have to do a bunch of flashbacks. Yeah. No, then no. the flashbacks started. And then they're Zack Snyder doing really emotional scenes. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch this later. Uh, <laughs> so Yeah, I heard it was, I heard Army of that it was a lot of good action, but maybe not much else. Yeah. So, uh, I, uh, I, I, just the, my last thing on Jupiter's Legacy uh, is it reminds me a lot of like watching a Shonda Rhimes show where, uh, in where the their the characters will just it will always just be those characters and they will always just turn different angles and 
eventually everyone will have been in every angle with everybody else at some point. Uh, but interesting things happen, right? I think the first episode ends with an interesting thing happening. Um, and the character yeah. confusion so, stuff can can just be its own thing. My pick is my CO2 meter. It's it's really helpful if you want to see how much CO2 is around you and oh, if you wow. need to open up a window or door. So that's my pick. Get a CO2 meter. Hey. Okay. There we go. Yeah. There you go. It's been after. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.